Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Bustin' Loose Baseball, episode 38. Grant Paulson, Danny Ruye, producer Darius Dameron. Orioles came to town. Took a couple games from the Nats, Danny, in a regional rivalry. This rivalry has taken on kind of different dimensions over the years. It's now more of a front office and ownership kind of rivalry than it is a player one. I mean, there was a time, it wasn't that long ago, where both these teams were really, really good. And I caught a lot of flack in in the Baltimore market. I don't even know if you remember this. I actually think you were out of our regular show, Grant and Danny, on 106.7 The Fan, when I... These two teams were getting ready for a series, and you know both were well on their way to winning 90-plus games. And I said to Orioles fans, generally, if you're here and you can hear me, thank your lucky stars the Nets got good. Thank your lucky stars that the Nets got their act together. The Orioles had been bad for some time since really the late 90s, and it's you know I refused to accept the idea that it was just a random coincidence that they all of a sudden started to do things right at that point. And listen, things have to happen. You have you deserve credit for a Manny Machado turning into a superstar and that roster that they put together that had a chance to beat the Royals and maybe go to a World Series. But my point was, it the idea that there was close-by competition for eyeballs, dollars, sort of that marketplace, I think was one of the best things that potentially happened uh, to that Orioles run right there. And, you know, of course, they made it into something where I was taking credit or like, you know, Ryan Zimmerman should be given credit for the Orioles winning 96 games. And, of course, that wasn't the intent. But now... The Orioles have gone through that real legitimate pain of that rebuild. It was painstaking. It took a long time. They got their teeth kicked in. Because you really have to do it right in that division. And there's an absolute buzzsaw of a division. Boston's having a down year, only a couple games under 500. You know how good the Yankees are. Toronto's a young team on the come. How, how smart the, the Rays are. They do it with you know calculators and pocket protectors, and they're always in the 90s in terms of wins. There are no nights off in that AL East. If you're going to do a rebuild to try to get yourself really, really, really good, you've got to be judicious about it. You've got to take your time, and you've got to be really sure and sound and keep a really good approach. No shortcuts. And you're starting to see the Orioles organization reap some of the benefits of that. 
I don't know if they're a playoff team this year. It'd be cool if they made it somehow. But the most important thing is you can absolutely see. You don't have to squint and look through a funhouse mirror. You can see how good this team can be within a season or two. Yeah, they're four games back of the Rays in the wild card, five back of Seattle, and I believe five and a half back of the Toronto Blue Jays, who they're about to play a three-game series against and I think play six more times the rest of this season, who they've actually had you know, some problems with here recently. But have a chance head-to-head to make a little ground. Uh, but, yeah, the Orioles, I guess, then being good contrarily, by your logic, would be good for the Nationals, 100%. right? I 100%. mean, because that means if Washington is seeing Baltimore over the next few years, and they're going to be awesome, I think, in the years ahead with Adley Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson, and they'll get Colton Kowser and, and uh, Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall all in the big leagues. They're going to be legit. And they're going to spend money. I was talking to Mike Elias a few weeks ago. He told me they're going to make trades this offseason and they're going to be aggressive in free agency. Like, this is the year where they're going to really go for it. So if that's going to happen and this is going to start a four-, five-, six-year window, a la the Astros when Elias was there, when they were going to league championship series and one of the better teams in the American League, I would think then, Danny, that this would be a really good sign for Nationals fans in that it's the same logic, right? I mean, you yes. are competing for the dollars in this area, and there are people. like it, you got Nats fans who hate the Orioles and Orioles fans who hate the Nats, but there are plenty of people who are baseball fans who are going to go see good baseball and want to see the star when he's in town, right? It's 40 minutes to Baltimore from Frederick. It's about 45 to D.C. from Frederick. Where do they go? Which game are they going to go see? Right now, it's pretty clear. You're going to Camden Yards. If you live in Columbia, if you live in some of the areas that are considered suburbs of D.C., but not that far away uh, from, from Baltimore, just to give you a sense of that, of that geography. On a good day, which are very rare in this area, I might add, the Ted Leonsa Super Corridor is alive and well. It's 45 minutes from stadium to stadium, right, if you take that BW Parkway. So the point is you're fighting over kind of that that middle ground of of sort of more casual sports fans and the like. Hardcore Nats fans have no interest in the Orioles, and then vice versa, totally fine. That's always going to be that way. No, no issue there. But my point all along is these two share such a unique marketplace. There's a difference between you know these 40, 50, 60-year-old sort of Yankees, Mets type things or two teams in the Bay Area, San Francisco and Oakland. This is an incredibly unique I don't even know how to say this, but dynamic between these two organizations where if you were a baseball fan for 30-some years and you lived you know, northern Virginia, lived in D.C., lived in points that were close, you either didn't care about baseball anymore and you just kind of you know watched TBS, Game of the Week on Fox or whatever, or you drove up to Baltimore where you were kind of an outsider. You weren't really part of that thing. Then all of a sudden, out of that marketplace – comes this, you know, this whale in waiting in Washington, D.C. It's a major media market. doesn't feel that way all the time, but it still certainly is. And, you know, these two franchises can absolutely coexist, and they have in a very icy, bizarre relationship between them where fans that, you know, your neighbor could be an Orioles fan if you live in Woodbridge. Your neighbor could be a Nationals fan if you live, you know, uh, 20 miles up up 95. It's, it's an incredibly unique dynamic. The ownership level, though, both are sort of facing tumultuous situations right now. The Nationals, we know, and nobody's officially said, yep, it's a fire sale, we're getting out of here, but all the signs are, we know it, they're selling, talking about the Lerner family and and all their partners. And in Baltimore, there's kind of a custody battle of the thing. As Peter Angelos' health has has declined, and you know his his children are kind of fighting over control. There are court cases, lawsuits, and the like, and people are talking about potentially that being up for sale. The backdrop of all of this is Masson, 
Major League Baseball, in their infinite wisdom, and I'm putting that in quotation marks, you can't see me, but I'm making the air quotes when I say infinite wisdom, completely lacked the foresight here and did whatever hard-charging Peter Angelos wanted in terms of this cable company that is just a disaster, quite frankly. There is so much money that's being left on the table for having a less-than cable organization that that covers these teams, it's frankly an embarrassment. Again, tens of millions of dollars a year being left on the table uh, that otherwise would be if this was kind of a normal situation. It's not normal. I don't see the end. No matter how many wins one side gets in court, there's always an appeal. There's always something else. And we kind of go back to the beginning and we wait another seven months and somebody writes an article that says there's no update. It's It's something that I don't know how any new ownership group coming in for the Nationals is going to overcome. I know folks have pointed to Ted Leonsis controlling now NBC Sports Washington, I'm sure soon to be monumental, as like a nice big step. But I don't know how that helps him win in court. I don't know how that helps him change the terms of this really terrible deal, both for the Nationals and Major League Baseball. So you go back to Game 2 of this series last night, so that would have been Wednesday night. The Nats had four base hits for their two runs, just couldn't get anything going at the plate, scored individual runs in the third and the fourth, and that was kind of all of their offense. Two of their four hits contributed by Riley Adams, who was two for three and hit a home run. Really good to see him get back on the home run sheet. No, Riley Adams is a guy who I I would have anticipated would have been a much bigger factor this season for the Nationals in this terrible year. They acquired him at the trade deadline last year. He was a middle-of-the-pack prospect uh, in the system that he was in, and then he was better than that here in Washington. Uh, but if you look at 100 at-bats, four home runs, you know, 200 average, 600 OPS, wasn't particularly pretty. He did hit at AAA. What I thought was, at the beginning of the season, they would flip Josh Bell at the deadline, and then Riley Adams might be their first baseman. Obviously, because you get Luke Voigt in that same deal, because you brought up Joey Manessis, who nobody was anticipating having the year he had at AAA, and he's been great since. Uh, because you have Nelson Cruz as a DH as well, you basically have three DHs. You know, Riley Adams was kind of the odd man out. There just wasn't a whole lot going on for him. So the 26-year-old hasn't had opportunities. Uh, but I'll be curious to see, moving forward, how he factors into the conversation in Washington. They just called up Israel Pineda with Kbert Ruiz going to the shelf, and he's probably done for the year. I think Pineda's a guy you want to start every day at AAA beginning of next year when he's 23 years old and probably continue to develop behind the plate. So maybe that gives Riley Adams an opportunity to be your catcher too, if that's something that you're interested in. Uh, but he's at 26, you know, he's not a prospect anymore. I don't know if he's a 4A type guy, but I was happy for him last night. Uh, same here. It's, it's been kind of a lost season for him. And part of that is a testament to Cabo Ruiz and how often he wants to catch. He's got the tools of ignorance on pretty much daily at, at this stage. Hadn't left many opportunities for Adams. I've always liked Riley Adams a little bit. I, I can I can sort of deal with that low batting average. I feel like he's a good receiver. I like big guys with soft hands behind the dish. I like that big target. I don't know if that's old school or not. I mean... Catchers now are starting to trend towards a little bit more sleek and athletic, and and you know because guys are going on one knee so much more often, it takes a little bit of a toll off the body. But I, I've always kind of had that affinity again for some old school MLB tendencies. Your catcher is a big hulking guy that's you know presents a big broad target with broad shoulders and and everything as he sort of sits up high and, and and is good for pitchers to be able to throw to. I don't know if that's necessarily the same anymore. And when he plays, he's got pop. He's not going to hit for average. He's not going to run. There's there's not much athletic there that's that's exciting about. But that guy can hit the ball with some carry. 
And having that guy play a couple times a week and potential to you know change one of the you know every three, four, five, six games he plays with a home run and and, and a good called game and, and good receiving, you could do a lot worse as a, as a backup catcher on a competitive club. Yeah, he only threw out about eighteen percent of runners this year, and for his career, uh, he's thrown out eighty-two runners of one hundred twenty-seven have stolen successfully, um, but. Yeah, I just wonder if some power off the bench kind of helps him to hang around a little bit longer. Um, I, I guess I'm just surprised how the year went for him, right? If you would have said to me a few months ago, this is going to be one of the worst teams in baseball, they're going to trade Bell, they're going to be looking for help, I would have thought Riley Adams would have factored into this thing. Then you would have told me k Ruiz is going to miss the final month or so of the season maybe after getting hit with uh, the test- testicular whatever they're calling it. Uh, I would have said, okay, well, Riley Adams is going to play a ton, and maybe he'll get to for a few weeks, but a little bit surprised by how this has gone, and they're doing what they should do. I mean, Joey Manessis is raking, and you acquired Luke Voigt in a trade, so I get it. I understand how this happened. Uh, Patrick Corbin pitched for the Nationals and was pretty good. Four hits and a run, six innings, four strikeouts, no walks. Back-to-back starts, I think, without a walk now for Corbin. Um, who had won the start before that. And if you look at what he's done since they shut him down because they just couldn't let him pitch anymore, and we were debating what to do on the podcast. Do you put him in the bullpen? Do you, um, you know, they weren't going to DFA him, but do you basically put him on a phantom injured list? They just kind of skipped the start, right? Since then, when he came back, uh, he has mostly been awesome. Six innings, four runs against the Cubs is not great, but... When I say awesome, I mean for Patrick Corbin. Uh, five and a thirds, two runs, six innings, and one Ernie, seven innings and one run against the Mets. Six and two-thirds, he gave you some depth, even though he gave up 12 hits and five runs, got knocked around. Last start by the Phillies, by far his worst of the six starts he's made since coming back. But then four hits and a run with six innings. I mean, he at least is now pitching like a guy that is a member of a rotation that you don't have to worry a ton about, which has kind of been the goal all along. The problem, Danny, is that he seems to do this at the end of a lot of these seasons. And it's not like you're playing teams that don't care. The Orioles had to have these games. so it's, You can't completely dismiss the results. But we have been here before where they point to September or you know the end of the year. And we how did he this finished, last year. Yeah. And they go, oh, look at Patrick Corbin. He found something. And that's just not the case. So, again, I don't think he, quote-unquote, found anything. But it would have been hard to pitch to an ERA over seven. There's a reason over a full season nobody does that. And I think there's some correction happening here, but he's been better, so give him credit for that. Yeah, 100%. And this is now, I don't know what number we're on, I don't know what version this is, if it's 2.0 or 3.0, but this Patrick Corbin now is not striking people out. He's throwing ground balls. His ground ball rate in terms of of, of balls in play was over 50% last night. And this is, again, recording this Thursday and talking about Wednesday night's game. Maybe that's who he is now. Maybe he's a sinker ball guy. There are going to be starts where that doesn't work and you get hammered because the ball's in play. You can't put away bats. And what we've kind of come to in this statistical revolution is the most effective and sure thing is punching guys out. Right? Well, it also that's seems like, have you, have you noticed this? There are a lot of games where he these teams that try to ambush him on like first and second pitches, he gets deep into the game and pitches better, it seems like. Yeah. Because I, I don't know what it is exactly, but they're they're jumping on him early in count, so they're not getting to two strikes to where they, they can't pick up fastball slider from the same tunnel. And then it seems like he goes six or seven innings in those games. So last night, I think he was like two or three pitches in. He'd gotten two outs right away. And I in my mind, I thought, well, this is going to be one of those good Patrick Corbin nights because the Orioles' plan is obviously to attack this guy. Yeah, and, and, and for, the, for a couple of years, that's been a great plan. 
Fastballs early in the count from Patrick Corbin were just a delight to hitters as he was getting hammered around the yard, giving up home runs, extra base hits, loud contact, exit velocity in triple digits consistently. That's, you know, now, again, kind of a bargain. That's what the sinker baller is hoping for. Let, I'll go deep into the game, potentially. You guys swing early. You don't want to be, you don't want to be behind uh, in the count. We'll all kind of make this even trade here. So I, I don't know. Uh, again, we we did to your point. We did this last year where we thought ah, it's a Patrick Corbin Renaissance. I tell you, in a lost year, he really pulled it together at the end. It's exciting for spring training. I will not be doing that. To your point, though, nobody's doing it. Patrick Corbin is back. Nobody's doing. He's turned the corner. Nobody's doing. He's found something, and and this is what he'll be for the remainder of his gigantic contract and career here. What we are saying is, hey, these last month plus since they shut him down was pretty good. So good for you, Patrick Corbin. It's not the easiest thing in the world to do to get your teeth kicked in at, at a big league level when you are a prideful, you know, uh, alpha type athlete that all these professional guys are. Where it, you know, you're, you you still think you're as good as you were before, and admitting weakness is not really something that makes a lot of sense for you. So losing as many games and having the the numbers that he's put up when he's had a lot of success at this level, it's probably pretty humbling, probably humiliating at times. Not a whole lot of fun. So give him credit, and I'm glad he's had some success here in a lost season. Yeah, they had to have him have some success because they were likely going back to the well next season no matter what because of that contract status. So this at least allows them to justify that, and at least all offseason, you know, they can paint a picture and we can be hopeful that he is a – rosterable, tolerable fifth starter, which is kind of the expectation and I think the hope at this point. If he is an innings eater, even in the start a couple of outings ago against the Phillies where he pitched into the seventh, 12 hits, five runs, I'm taking that, dude. Like that, There's nothing wrong with that outing. I, I will gladly accept 6.2, 12 hits, five runs from my fifth starter. Two runs or less in four of his five last starts. Yeah. You know what I mean? Giving you a chance. And that, and that exceeds expectations. Yeah. But I think that's going to have to be the selling point going into next season is you got Gore, Cavalli, Josiah Gray as your young, wherever they are in the rotation, kind of these are the guys you'll come to watch. Either you add a starter, very likely, in the offseason – or you deal from the depth of your, you know, the injured guys that are Evan Lee or eventually Jackson Tatro's hurt. Um, but I, I think you go get a pitcher or something, and then you kind of say, look, we just need Patrick Corbin to give us six innings when he throws and not kill our bullpen. Because that was the, the point midway through this season, and then he started getting bounced in the first inning in two out of three starts, and it, it really cost them dearly. When you were talking about the rotation, it was weird you didn't mention – Anibal Sanchez again, or Levon Hernandez. Well, or, I hope that's that's over. Matt Chico, Matt O'Con- uh, Mike O'Connor, any of those guys. Tim Redding. I also Bill. didn't mention Steven Strasburg. Yeah. Which every time I talk about the rotation next year, and this is not to be a jerk, I, I don't even think about him. I, I don't either. Like and, a couple times, I've actually gotten tweets from people after listening to the podcast where they go, "Hey, you were talking about the future rotation. Why didn't you mention Strauss?" And it's honestly that he's like completely out of mind at this point. I've kind of in my head, I guess, just prepared for the inevitable that is that I don't expect him to pitch again. But, I mean, I'm not a doctor, and that's just me being cynical. But I played the Strauss' coming back game for the last calendar year and a half, and I don't, I'm not playing that game anymore. Yeah, same. Um, the Think about the saga we went through this year, right? That weird – because remember, I, I'd almost forgotten about this until you, you referenced it the other day on, on Grant and Danny – the I'd forgotten about the labor stoppage. I'd forgotten about that everything was delayed for a little bit. And the opening series that was supposed to be against Philadelphia was pushed back. And I, like it, it, it slipped my mind. So given the weird 
start and then shut down. And then we find out, like right before the season starts, oh, yeah, by the way, Steven Strasburg's not making the trip north. He's going to build up arm strength. Oh, totally. Yeah, makes great sense. Let's do that. We're all in favor of that. We're working back from surgery. Sure. Let's give him an extra what? What do you think? Like a start or two? Months, Grant. Months of whatever the hell that was with no updates. Everything was weird. You know, the first time we found something out was, yeah, he th- you know he threw a simulated inning to live hitters the other day. We're going, wait a minute. That's what you do in February. That's what you do when pitchers and catchers report to be, you know, before Valentine's Day. What are we talking about here? Updates were few and far between. And then, of course, you know, we, we know how it all went. He makes his one start, and basically, shortly thereafter, yeah, the same thing, the same thing that, you know, had him have the surgery, the same problem, the same deal. It ain't right. So, I don't know. I, I'm with you. I'm just not counting on it at, at any point in time. If he does pitch again, that's great. Uh, I you know I, I know I know it's probably not that much fun for him. He likes to pitch, but you know it, it's it's one of the things that kind of breaks your heart and and you, you feel terrible for the guy. But at the same time, the 162 games are scheduled with or without him. You know the nobody as Mike Rizzo once said on, on the Junkies, nobody feels sorry for you. The 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 other team's coming to town to play the game, and you got to go on the road and, and do the same. I don't think he's coming back. That's just my evaluation. Again, I'm not a doctor either. That's just kind of reading the tea leaves from afar. It just doesn't seem like it's likely. See you later. The system for the Nationals, something we focus on a lot here on Bustin' Loose Baseball, has improved exponentially this year for a couple of reasons, most notably the Soto trade, obviously. But they had a draft where they they got a, a bat, an athlete at the top of the board. So you add Elijah Green to Brady House, and then you bring in all the players from the Padres. And you know, in one year, this thing has gone from being you know 26, 27, depending on where you're looking in systems, maybe as high as 23rd, 24th, to now being in the top 10 in, in some places, which is a big, big deal. There's going to be a high pick at it again, though. And this is a quick reminder that this is a terrible year and the Nats are really unlucky to be the worst team in baseball. And what I mean by that is this is the first year where being the worst team does not get you the first pick. Because in this new CBA you just mentioned, the uh, labor dispute, one of the things that changed right before the start of the season when the two sides finally agreed on a pact was that the draft would be I should say the draft order would be assigned via lottery. And at the top of the board, the bottom three teams in the sport will all have an equal chance at the top pick because I think a lot of veteran players, there are plenty of fans as well, didn't like the tanking by design, even though I've never had a problem with it. See the Orioles, I think it works. See the Cubs before that, the Astros before that. It's how I think you should build. Heck, see the Nationals when they were the first pick in the draft and got Strauss and Harper in back-to-back years before they turned their organization around. But right now, the Nationals are six games worse than, so in my equation, better than the Pirates in the quest for the top record, worst record, in the National League draft order. Uh, They do have to worry about Oakland, I guess, who they're only three games in the clear of in the win column. Detroit, they're only five games in the clear of in the win column. But it does look like they'll have at least the tie for the highest percentage chance to get the number one pick this year, which is a big deal. It is. They'll, They'll be in store for a really, really good player. One, two, or three. You'd obviously rather have pick one, but you know they're. I think they're guaranteed to finish in the top three if their record is there uh, in, uh, among the worst. 
So, you know, it, you're right. It, it's not what it was. It doesn't guarantee you. I mean, I think back a handful of years ago, my math stinks. So whatever year it was, when Seattle got hot right at the end of the season, like won a couple of games and, you know, even won a series to let the Nationals get the number one pick. And that turned into Steven Strasburg, which, of course, worked out pretty darn well. But, yeah, I, I mean, the, the Nats will be in a position where they simply have to have to take advantage and have to be better. We talked about this a lot on, on the show, I think rightfully so. They're... Biggest organizational weaknesses over this period of great success that's now you know led them to this rebuild here over these last three seasons where they've really been very poor. Their biggest weaknesses to me are drafting and developing. That's the way they haven't been able to sustain some things. It's why they've had to you know ransack their system to fill in cracks, whether it's the bullpen, the rotation, you know, uh, position players and the like. They're, they're, the road has been just littered with way too many Carter Key booms, way too much Victor Robles. They just haven't had guys pan out anywhere near enough uh, enough frequency. And you, you know you throw a bunch of darts at the wall, right? I mean, the, the guy the name I always come back to as my example of this is where is their Spencer Strider? Where is that guy? Where's the third rounder? I mean, I remember a couple years ago, they drafted this kid, this lefty, who who was nasty as all get out, out of TCU in the third round, who was super intriguing. I don't see that guy on any roster anywhere. I have no idea. I don't remember what his name is, where he is. Where's their third rounder? Where's the fifth rounder? Where's the tenth rounder that sneaks up and and turns into a bona fide major leaguer as a a nice bonus to, you know, uh, you can let one guy walk away and then you've got an answer kind of already waiting. It's it's been their Achilles heel. It's been their biggest problem. And I think at this stage, hopefully the, this last class, whether it's house and company, the prospects that they've just added will sort of mask some of those inefficiencies. They've got to start nailing these at a higher level. And it, I think it, it involves dedication to it, not only the scouting process, but the development part of this. I think they go hand in hand. They have not developed very well at all. And you and I have kind of some complaints around the edge of, yeah, there's this 25-year-old that's still at A-ball that's, you know, seems to be, he should be moving up, but he's not. What's going on there? Whatever it is philosophical-wise, if it's a money thing, if it's a resource thing, I don't know. It simply has to get better and look no further, again, than the Orioles as a way to demonstrate, oh, there's a blueprint. That's how I compete quickly. Real quick on the draft lottery. So the Nats at 49 and 94 uh, would have a 16.5% chance of getting the number one overall pick. Same as the A's and the Tigers if the season ended today. Then you've got all 18 teams, basically, that don't make the playoffs, have a chance at the number one pick. But teams uh, like 10 and below have basically a 1.5% or less. I mean, you really have to literally hit the lottery. Uh, what it looks like to me is, and I just there's a draft simulator on Tankathon that, that I've used. I just ran it six times. The Nats got the first pick just once. Which oh, is there you go. not a great situation. But point being, you know, if if you look at it, that theoretically no one has a better chance at being the number one overall team on the board come the draft, but there are two teams equal. Pirates are barely behind you. Reds have a ten percent chance. The the Marlins and Royals five and seven percent chances. So if you simulate the lottery right now, it comes back. The Cubs just won the lottery. They had a 3.9% chance to do it. Oh, I, I see. I thought Washington, as you're doing this, I know people can't see the simulation. I thought that the teams with the worst records that had that 16-plus percent chance couldn't fall out of a certain level. I guess maybe I was wrong about that. I, I thought it was kind so of So I like was trying to NBA. find that. There is a floor, I believe, but I don't know that it's top three. I, okay. I think they could be a little bit or, lower Maybe it was top that. four or five, something like that. But in the simulation you just ran, Washington was seventh. The other thing I want to note that I think is very funny 
is this is a, a website that I have, I've actually used for MBA stuff and, and a number of things called Tankathon. If you look, the win streak column, this is just funny to me, they put in green the losses. That's usually when you look at one of these standings things or something like that, if you go to MLB.com or otherwise, where it's like, hot streak, the green, it's good. They're, they're in the green. They're happy. They won five in a row. They yeah, won nine in a row. it's red for the Pirates who have won yeah. four in a row or the Cubs that have won yeah. three in a row. Because the Cubs have beaten up with the Mets, so it's like, uh-oh, this is bad. They, their wins are in red. It's just flip-flopped, and I think it's a nice little touch. Yeah, you, you want the losses. On Tankathon, you for, want those L's. For Tankathon. Uh, which I know a lot of people don't love. Uh, you mentioned the minor leagues and pitchers who sometimes are older than their level. I did want to congratulate Jackson Rutledge, though, who started in Game 1 for Fredericksburg of their playoff series. They actually have Game 2 coming up tonight in their playoff series, and I believe Yarlin Susana is on the mound. So that'll be interesting. But Jackson Rutledge was nails. Uh, he pitched eight innings for Fredericksburg wow. in his start uh, as they got a win in Game 1. Could not have been any better uh, really, really impressive eight scoreless from him. So the 23-year-old first-round pick, he gave them the start they wanted. This is the biggest start of his career in a huge spot, and he turned in a gem. Uh, it has been very inconsistent up and down for him, considering the level. Like, if he was doing this in AA or AAA, I would not be overly you go, concerned. This is development, yeah. But because it's essentially low A, I mean, it's at Fredericksburg as a 23-year-old, a few years removed from being a first overall pick out of a junior college. You know, it's been, at times, frustrating and borderline alarming. I've kind of always thought he's going to end up being a reliever because of his size uh, and the fact that it's it's hard for him to always throw strikes. He sprays the ball a little bit at times. But that was a hell of a start. Awesome to see. Important for him. I mean, you know, they, they've done this a, a little bit where they've kind of kept guys down because maybe they want to see some success or there's a metric or two that they're working on. But I don't know how, how important that was in a, hey, this is a playoff game. Just go be nasty. Just go win it. Just go step up and, and dominate for people. So good for him, man. That, he, he needs a few wins in, in that regard. I, I don't mean wins and losses in terms of pitching, but just in terms of let's build some success a little bit. You know, let, let's get back on track. That pandemic year I think was hard for him, as it was for a lot of people, kind of slowed his his development chain. So it, it's it's exciting that he's got you know a nice little feather in his cap here from a playoff start. Before we get out of here, Darius has a review from someone that they left. If you say something nice about us, we will read it on the air. Not only is it a review, guys, it's a five-star review. Oh, yeah. A five-star review. Those are our favorite kind. We We like like those. those. This one is from Chris, and Chris says, Grant, Danny, I appreciate the work you do to provide a very comprehensive analysis. Please keep it up. Outstanding job. I feel like I'm smarter as a Nats fan after I listen to this show. So thank you, Chris. We appreciate that five star review from Chris. Chris. The dream five star for you, Chris. That's for what you, we're buddy. For. You're giving him a five star review for his five star review. A verbal five star review for that five star review. That should what, be a place where we could do that. That's li- I, th- I, th- I think we just did it. I, that is the goal. What Chris is talking about. We, we are just a couple of uh, pudgy nerds that like this thing. We like baseball. We like the Nationals. And hopefully our, you know, late-night internet searching and, and Grant's looking up prospects and look going to baseball savant and checking spin rates in the fourth inning of a guy's second at bat or exit velocities and whatever. Hopefully it pays some dividends and you guys feel like this is worthwhile. So thank you. Marlins in town to face the Nationals over the next three. That's Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then the Nats are headed to Atlanta. Miami, and Philadelphia comes to town after that on the docket moving ahead. Final thoughts, Danny. 
this is going to continue their run. I don't have the exact record in front of me, but the Nationals have been simply abysmal in the division this year. They've been okay, actually, uh, against everybody else relative to how poor their record is. But people have had a nice time playing the Nationals in terms of the Phillies, the Mets, the Braves, and the Marlins. Uh, I had I also didn't check the schedule. I probably should, but I hope we get to see Sandy Alcantara one more time uh, in in that uh, one of these two series coming. Nats up. hitters do not hope that. Well, yeah, I know it's not fun for them, but it's fun for me as he's hopefully closing in on a Cy Young award. That guy is just so unbelievably filthy, and uh, I hope he wins it. He is a beast. All right, my final thought is I appreciate Danny. Your shoulders got to be heavy carrying the load today. If people are going, why did Danny overtalk on this episode? You didn't overtalk. I did. There was a reasonable amount of talk. I went on long diatribes like, me, 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 my thing. I told Danny before we started, I said, hey, man, this got to be you. I I have the worst migraine I've ever had. I don't know what's going on. So your boy is scuffling today. Um, I am right now questionable for the show we're supposed to do at 2 o'clock live in D.C., because it is, it's a struggle. Our uh, assistant producer Ryan is at CVS right now, trying to get me something to help me get through this day. He texted. I, I said you need to get Excedrin. I think that's the best for headaches. It's got caffeine in it. It's, I think it's a wonder drug. He asked. He texted me during our recording here. He's like, "How do you spell that?" And I was like, "Just look for the ex, man. You'll you'll, you'll probably figure the rest out." I feel like he's got a smartphone. <laughs> he could probably throw something into Google that well, might. Well, think, you and I could, but think about it. He's he's busy trying a bunch of different things. Got to the end of the alphabet, couldn't figure it out, and then texted me. It's hilarious. Uh, it'll be uh, full strength on my side of things next time around, hopefully. But uh, Danny carrying the way. The shoulders are heavy. Uh, the shoulders hurt a little bit today, but good pod, and uh, we appreciate everybody listening. We're back at it early next week, busting loose baseball.